I am Doug Friedman. And I am Meredith Levy. And this is Your Mental Breakdown. The podcast starring us. Starring us and starring our old friend Drew. We are doing a special episode for you guys of Drew from the first season, checking in with him. And I guess we should give the trigger warning because we're dealing with some pretty serious stuff on this episode. In this session, we talk pretty intensely and a little graphically about suicide. So that is coming up. And in the breakdown, we will continue to talk about that and process that with you guys. So be forewarned that that's coming up. And we will not be doing our fun, usual chit chat today because it's pretty, pretty serious topic and don't want to take away from that. And I'll have a lot to say in the breakdown anyway. So indeed, I will also say that for the sound quality in this one, it might sound a little weird because Drew's AirPods weren't working. So he was hearing me through his laptop speaker. So you might hear me on his mic through his laptop, if that's making sense or. It makes sense, but you're making hand gestures right now that no one else can see. So. (laughs) Well, I do make hand gestures in the episode too. I I talk about like, oh, you were doing this thing where one hand is stopping you and the other hand is motioning you forward. So we make reference to that. We also make reference to something that if you guys have been listening along, you will know pretty well. Drew talks about green bereting things and being a green beret. Do you remember what that means, Mare? You probably do, right? Of course. Yeah. Versus the Boy Scout. Right, right. I would say if you want to go camping, who would you rather bring with you? A Boy Scout that has all the gear and everything that could do with anything or the Green Beret that could kill a bear with a blade of grass? And there's no right or wrong answer necessarily, but it's highlighting that a Boy Scout relies on being prepared and having all the gear and sometimes being super anxious and taking himself through every scenario that could possibly happen. Whereas a green beret just knows they can handle it. So whatever comes, they have that confidence in their ability to handle just about everything. So you'll hear us refer to that. Yes, you will. Indeed. And we will just get right into it. I think we start off the session talking about Drew actually listening to the podcast and kind of looking at his growth. So it's it's a little meta to begin with, and then yeah. we just get right into it. So listen up, hang in there. We will be back with you guys shortly and break it down for you. I think it's fun for me hearing you and Meredith talk about it. I think I find a lot of interest and curiosity in what that is, and it's fun for me. I think it's weird for me, like, on the flip side of that. When I first listened to one, in the very, very, very beginning of all of this, I think I was still looking at it through, like, a little true lens and, and being a lot more emotional. I was being more hard on myself still and, like, I just, it was, I don't know, not weird, not that I didn't like it. I just, uh, it was like listening to myself talk and be in the same headspace. Yeah, it, it was still fresh. That's why going back a year ago is different because then it's more clear in our language that you're looking at a Polaroid. This is a really unique opportunity to see yourself almost objectively. 
when you hear yourself a year ago, you're not in that same mindset. You can just hear, oh, that's an older version of me. I thought that way back then. I don't right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that gives me a better mile marker, too, of where I've been, where I'm going in, in day-to-day stuff. I, like, I still deal with the same shit today as I did two years ago. It's just I know how to deal with them now. I'm more Green Beret because I know I can deal with it. I don't need to prepare for it and work for it and, and make sure it doesn't happen and all that stuff. It's less work because I know me. Yeah, I think I'm really in the middle, you know, in a comfortable way. Because I think if I went full Green Beret, like just me as a person, I wouldn't, I wouldn't function. I think that's a good thing for me to understand the balance of what both sides play for me. Because I do like being prepared and doing my due diligence and what life is. I think I'm very Green Beret emotionally. I feel a lot more in the moment and, and not, oh, in the moment I need to spew all my shit. It's like in the moment I can kind of be clear-headed and talk myself through it. That makes sense. That's cool. And that was, I mean, even hearing you say that, that's a nice switch because you used to not feel very clear-headed a lot of the time. And to put that contextually, um, two days ago, I got vaccinated. When I had COVID, it fucked my head up really bad. Um, And I was confused and dizzy and whatnot, but I was also emotionally not okay. I didn't really have too bad symptoms. But my mental game got really fucked up. I had really bad night terrors. It really led to the point of, of, like, night terrors during the day day terrors not like a hallucination but it was the the mentality of wanting to die and commit suicide and and what all of that is encompassing within itself i mean to the point where like girlfriend had called my parents i am embarrassed and like this is something that i haven't really told anybody about and nobody really knows about it. and now i'm going through the process of talking to my parents about it for the first time and it's a really awkward timing because i just got cut off financially three months ago so i had a really long conversation with my mom yesterday about it and i bring this up because i think this is me being super green beret while I'm still really scared She was like Oh what did I do This is my fault What happened Let's talk about it You know And, and I'm like I stopped her Like I cut her off I was like mom Like Like for Like honestly speaking That doesn't help me at all And all The only thing that's gonna bring Is me wanting to fix your feelings And make <clears throat> you feel better And I'm just back in the same spot if not worse So like I would really appreciate it If you just Would be here as my mom And just love me for a minute And, and that's kind of What I need right now I don't really need The The fixing I don't think anybody In my My family community Can fix this I just think that The more love that I find In, in my community and, and being able to share Certain things with certain people And I'm still having These fucked up thoughts And like it still hurts And like I still hate it and I can feel a lot more comfortable in talking about what that is and not feeling like somebody has the answer. I feel like I have the answer and that like I am working on it and I am getting better. It's just a process. Yeah. Wow. How was that just the way that you were talking to your mom that way? Like that's you didn't sound like that a year ago. I know. I feel very strong. You know, emotionally, I feel very strong. And I think there was a lot of love in that conversation that I haven't seen in a while. 
I think the transition over the last six months has been exactly what I thought it would be. You know, it's not, I'm not surprised by it. I'm not disappointed by it. I'm not excited by it. It's just like, okay, here we are. And and again, I'm trusting the process and I think I'm doing okay in it. I think that is a part of you being able to recognize what you need and recognize what you want and ask for it and recognize what you don't need and don't want and name that too. A few things here. Saving the the big for the last, which is the those suicidal thoughts and that feeling and all that. We'll we'll get to that. I'm not just like, oh, no, 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 let's talk about this other no no, that that's that's a biggie. We'll get there. Feeling embarrassed. I wanna give you a lot of credit for recognizing that you were feeling embarrassed and being able to say that and being able to feel that instead of telling yourself not to. Even though you said, and I know I'm not supposed to, like there's no suppose. You felt embarrassed. Okay. You can look at why and where it came from and and what that is to understand that feeling and the thoughts behind it. But the reality is, yeah, it was embarrassing for you because that's not how you normally are. It's not how you want to be known. And it was hard for you to reach out and tell anybody about it. And you did. So I I give you a lot of credit for that. And I I want to validate that it is embarrassing because you it's almost like your mind is betraying you. Yeah, and and that's the thing too, because like I know this isn't me, this isn't who I am, at all. Right. You know whether it was a result of the vaccine or you know just your system, it was something going on in your system that you recognized wasn't you, but you weren't going to just ignore it or just get through it. I was having this conversation with girlfriend. She got really scared because this is the first time I ever really opened up about any of what that is. To her in like a real way I've talked to her about it I've told her night terrors Think about suicide here and there But it was never like in the moment of walking through it With me She didn't overreact by any means But she had called my parents So it's not like I reached out and let them know And I think that's why I was embarrassed But I also feel a lot better Being on this side now that they do know I think honestly the embarrassment And my pride really got in the way Of course you'd rather not have that come up at all I think suffering in silence is one of the worst things someone can do. So to to suffer out loud means you also get to heal out loud. I think when you involve people in your suffering, you can also involve them in the healing. Oh, okay, now I have tools or now, now I understand. Now I'm a little more control over the things that I couldn't control. And you can tell people that. I'll ask another one here, and it's not like I have no ego in asking. I'm just asking because I'm looking at... The embarrassment that hit, that feeling off, feeling not myself, the suicidal thoughts. You didn't reach out to your therapist. How come? I knew I could handle this internally. In the moment itself, I knew I wasn't going anywhere. I knew I wasn't going to hurt myself. It was just my mentality and and the way I was just seeing life at the time. And and again, like I don't know, I don't know what caused it. And while while there was reasons, you know, throughout the day that ticked me one way or the other, there was no reason to fix. Actually, honestly, I didn't even think about calling you because it wasn't a, oh, I need you to fix this for me type of conversation. Interesting dichotomy here. What you just said, you didn't reach out to me because it wasn't something to fix, right? Do you remember what you just told me about talking to your mom? Her wanting to fix it and what, you know, what happened and... 
my childhood and everything else. Yeah, and you kind of going like, I, I, it's not something to fix. Exactly. It's not about fixing. It's, it's about connecting. It's somebody being able to just be there, which is why you talk to girlfriend, because she's right there, and that's comfortable. And there's something that you still carry. We've talked about this in terms of being completely independent or being codependent, that there's, there's an in-between, there's some spectrum, that you don't have to do everything yourself. You can, you don't have to. You know, you don't have to carry that burden alone. There are people that will be there for you. We've talked about it in terms of, of this thing. Oh, I'm the king of that. Yeah. It robs people of the opportunity to show them how much they care about you. And we often don't do that because we've been hurt before and let down before. So we'll guard against it. We might invite them in, but then we'll stop and, and give them the excuse. Yeah. It gets to you. Doing it all alone all the time. And this is kind of a good example. And the embarrassment, yeah, I get it. I mean, it's anybody that, that's ever had to go into the hospital for something or, or have, you know, even if you just get sick and somebody needs to give you soup. So many people, myself included, are like, I'm a bad patient. I'm a bad patient, you know, because I don't like being helpless, right? And you're smiling, right? You know, right? But it, it gives people the opportunity to show that they care. What do you think of that? I think I did a lot more of the this yeah. than I did of this. I yeah, definitely still sure. did this, but more in the sense of, like, I was saying shit like, more so you're better off without me, so you don't have to deal with whatever this is. You know, like, I don't want you to have to walk through a life where this is a your normal. I somewhat right. watched my mom and dad do that, and I hated it for them. I mean, they love each other unconditionally, and, like, they have a good relationship as far as I know. But I still watched it, you know, and I still, for myself, don't really want to put who I love through that as well. Like, fuck that. And so my push away in this scenario was me leaving. She even said it. She was like, all that was just a cry for help. And I was like, I know. I think the thing that made me feel more pushy, and it wasn't her, it was everybody, was a lot of, well, what's the reason? What what's going on? Like, how do we fix it? And I think the hard part for me was having to have that conversation over and over again of like, it's not you. You didn't do anything. It's me. It's the way I think and the way like I've been this way for a while. And and just kind of having that conversation with people was really hard for me. Even with my mom, everybody goes through shit in their childhood. You know, like everybody does. It's not you. It, it's the way I perceive things and the way I rationalize things and, and what I normalize as truth and not truth and all of that. And so I'm understanding a lot more of, like, what's internal, which is nice. But I also, I struggle with the, like, their heart's in the right place, you know, and, and I see that. I see them wanting to be there for me. I just... I hate having those conversations when I tell people, you can't fix it. It's not on you. I just need your love, and I need relationship, and I need friendship, and I need you to tell me something good that happened in your day. I don't need the, oh, well, let's just fucking fix this. Yeah, and that's beautiful right there. The more you say that, the more 
comfortable people will be with that. Not initially because they don't know what that means. I mean, you're a fixer. You know this. I think the more you acknowledge it, which you have, you know, and the way that you're acknowledging it, it's not something to fix. It's something to manage. It's something to understand, you know, and it's something to have support for. Okay. I think my dad did a really good job of understanding because he said something along the lines of, hey, I'm not going to pry, but I am here. I'm here to walk through it with you. Listen, you're my dad. I need you to ask me the questions. This is really hard for me just to let it all out. The way that you're talking to the people around you shows that you're understanding yourself a lot more and a lot better and what you need and what you want. And again, to not suffer in silence means you're suffering out loud. Yeah, we'd rather do it ourselves, but sometimes we can't. And, and the things that you're talking about, you're right. It's not for someone else to fix. It's not for you to fix either. You've done a lot to understand yourself, you know, since I've known you. And part of that understanding is just to go, right, and there's some brain chemistry at play that sometimes it's, it might get out of whack. And that's not in our control. There's right. so much in my life that could have happened and could have been the reason. And I don't want to spend the rest of my life backtracking just to find a reason. Right. right. It's not about that. It's, okay, so this is happening in my brain. How do I understand this? What do I do? Who do I talk to? How do I... You know, how do I get support? Because the, the thing that's, that becomes really scary and dangerous is when you do suffer in silence, when you don't reach out, when those feelings of guilt, shame, and embarrassment are so great that you don't say anything and whatever those thoughts are, you hit, you hit a panic state, you hit an anxious state, you're not thinking clearly, you're not thinking you're not even you. you, you can't reach out for help because you feel too much guilt, shame, and embarrassment. You can't do anything about it because you don't know how, and you just need it to stop. That's when it's super scary because you won't make a good choice. Yeah, and I think that's exactly where I was on Saturday was I just wanted to stop. Like, I just wanted to stop. I tried everything. I smoked. I went to the gym. I went for a run. You know, I did everything under the blue moon to be able to make it stop. I think this one is so much different for me. One, because it just felt different walking through it, and, and I felt almost numb. You know, I wasn't, like, crying and sobbing. I think being on the other side, looking back now, having a girlfriend tell my parents and my best friends... And acknowledging for myself that I do have a community and people now to kind of walk this side of my life with, I feel much better about it and a lot less um, that I do need to do it on my own. I think I've, I've wanted to do it on my own. I, I really have. And I still do. I still want to do it on my own. But I don't think I can. Okay. Pa pause there. I want to do it on my own. Okay. What would that look like? So doing it on my own would be not having emotional spikes. I got very upset. And so to do it on my own would to be able to kind of control that, just being able to kind of even keel things a little bit and not have these crazy spikes and and talk certain ways and and blame, blame, blame and and that kind of thing. And I don't want to be like that and I don't like being like that. And I think in a perfect world, I don't, I just don't get angry like that. But it's not a perfect world. And in a regular world, 
you will get angry again. You will react to things. You're a human being, you know? I haven't treated her the way I would want to treat her while I'm going through these, I call them episodes, you know, seasons, stents, whatever you want to call them. It's not fair to them. And I think that's my point in watching my mom and dad grow up. Like, my mom would have these, like, weird episodes where she would just kind of, like, fall. We called it going off the deep end. And she would just kind of go and do her thing, and it would fuck my dad up, and that fucked me and my brother up. And family-wise, it was weird, and nobody really knew what to do. And eh, it was a lot of animosity, and everybody kind of stayed in their own rooms. That sounds like doing it on my own, right? So, uh, and um, that's why I, I, I want to catch that and dig into that a little bit. Because if you're saying, I want to do it on my own, it either sounds like it, it means it would not happen and not come up. Okay, that's not possible. And I think that's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. Right. Sorry, man. It's sort of like saying, I want to never, ever get upset, ever, 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 ever. Like, <laughs> well. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to do it on my own. But I want to I want to better understand my feelings in the process so that I don't hurt people around me while I'm hurting. Yeah, there you go. Now we're getting closer. So maybe maybe it's about recognizing what's going on earlier in the process. Naming it. Not being alone. It's almost the opposite of being alone, but being able to name it for the people and do almost what you did like saying yeah it's it's not about fixing it's not anything you did it's something i'm going through well what's wrong what's the reason it's just my brain sometimes it does this you know oh well what can i do just hang with me you know sometimes that helps just uh you know just talking to you right now is 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 calming me down a little bit and cool because i'm not an angry person you know, unless you push me to the edge, then sure, right? But, but I think for the most part, yeah, I just want to handle it myself. I don't know about that. I, I understand that because it's uh, what you're really saying is I don't want to have this be an issue. And if it is, I don't want to act this way. I don't want to impact and affect anybody else from this place. We can walk through the imperfect world, the reality world, and kind of go, okay, well, knowing what you know now, how would you want to handle it a couple of days ago? My first instinct thought was, so I think my solution even now is just to isolate, isolate, isolate while I'm in these so that people don't see it. And I don't think that's fair for me. And I also don't think that's fair for the people around me. I think I'm really, I'm afraid of this process, especially to start it over the, like the first couple of times. I think they're going to suck. And I think that as I open up in this way to the people around me and kind of let them know what's going on while it's going on, there's going to be a lot of learning lessons and there's going to be a lot of ups and downs within that itself. And I think I'm using this kind of like last couple of days as a mile marker for those because I like coming out of this one, like I feel like, yeah, I feel embarrassed and there's a lot of shame and guilt and all of that, but I also feel very loved and I feel very welcomed in a lot of ways. And I feel very part of my community been shitty you know it's been really shitty but you see the smile on my face you know and and 
and I think coming out of this, knowing how how loved I really am has been huge. And I still feel like shit. That's the other piece of this. And it's not something that we're done talking about after today at all. But what you were actually feeling and thinking in those times and still and in these episodes, as you call them, you know, like that's that's something that I wonder if talking about it and naming it will kind of help, you know, kind of give it that that Voldemort feel. Once we name it, it's not the scary thing. It's it's not the thing you keep inside. So the dreams, I think that's that's the easiest place to start because that's kind of where it all does start for me. It's very vivid. It's as real as me talking to you right now. I couldn't tell you what's real and what's not in that dream area. And it's a constant, you know, it's a repetition of putting a gun to my head, pulling the trigger, waking up, finding the gun, putting it to my head, and almost like... Oh, no, that one wasn't real. I'm awake now. Now I can do it. Oh, no, that one wasn't real. Oh, now now I can do it. It's always a gun. But um, I had one the other day where I was in a bathtub, and I had cut my wrist vertically and just put them down. And I could feel, I could feel, like, I feel all of it. You know, it's not like I just kind of, like, third person see these dreams. It's very... It's very real and very me and very first person and I can feel all of it as if I'm getting hit in real life you know I like I feel it and it's all night I usually go to bed in those nights at like 9 maybe 10 and then I wake up at 11 and then I wake up at 11:30 and then I wake up at 1 and then I wake up at 3 and then I wake up at 5 and then I yeah. wake up at 6 and then by the time I'm awake I couldn't, like, I can't tell the difference of what just happened into what I'm about to go do. And I'm, I, it's, like, very confusing. Like, I was actively, like, walking around, like, yeah, I could probably jump that off that. That'd probably, I'd probably die off that one. Or, like, oh, yeah, no, if I fell three stories, like, I would definitely die. And, and feeling what that is, I think that's really what it was, like, this time. And I think that scared me the most. It's been a lot of dreams, and now it's getting to the point where it's, like... Like, I'll look at stuff and be like, oh, yeah, I could totally, I could use that. I haven't shared this one at all, but um, I, I had hung, for, I had, like, a pull-up bar. And um, and I had some, like, like ropes and shit. And so I, I, I just threw them up there, you know, and I was, and, like, it was, it wasn't like I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go fucking tie this around my neck and die and, like, everybody's going to see it. But it was like I looked at it and I was like, I could definitely, yeah, I could definitely hang myself from that, and and just kind of like the, like sitting back and looking at it and like just festering in what that is. Um, what is it? The thought of suicide, thought of death, thought of not being here anymore, and no pressure on either side of doing good or bad, and. You know, just kind of being done and not having to um, go one way or the other, you know, and, and full control of my life in my hands. Mm. And I think the other big thing is, is I feel good about my life where it sits today. And I don't want that to ever change. I think I hear it a lot of, oh, well, if you were gone, we'd really miss you. And I, I know that's true right now, but I, 
I struggle with the confidence of knowing that's true 20 years from now, 40 years now, 60 years from now, because I don't know what's going to happen in my life. And I, I'm starting to trust myself a lot more in who I am and my heart and my my vulnerability with people. And, and I think that that's really helped in a lot of ways. But I almost feel accomplished enough to call it a day and, and have people remember me now. It's kind of like going out on, on like my, like, and I'm not at my peak yet. I didn't know that, but it's like going right. out at like the top. Like Michael Jordan shouldn't have came back and played for the wizard. He should have just called it a day, <laughs> you know, like sure. he just should have. And so it's, I guess it's that mentality of like, I've touched enough people and made a difference in like people's lives. And, and I feel really good about that. And, and I think I would almost impact people more now if I was gone than I would by any accomplishment I do throughout my life. Mm. Wow. And that's in, and having those thoughts just come up. Yeah. I'm, I'm, thank you for sharing that with me. And that's stuff that we'll walk through. You hit a couple of things with that that we're definitely going to be unpacking a lot more. That idea of if I was gone, all that stress and pressure of good or bad, right or wrong, however perfect or imperfect, you know, whatever it was, that pressure would be gone. You know, that's like we said before we started the session, that 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 fishing mentality, like I could just go fish, right? And the look at that smile. It's the absence of that pressure for sure. And you're going, yeah, and I can be gone now and, and, and go out on top because I don't know what I'll be like 20, 40, 60 years from now. We have no idea. You can have a tremendous impact on people or none. We don't know. It's not written yet. What we know is writing it from this place of being so stressed and pressured and having to be right and having to do good, that doesn't work. You know, and it's, it's too much. And you've been learning since I've known you how to pull that back and ease that. You know, and this stuff coming up, yeah, part of it's chemistry and it's just happening in your brain. The other part is, right, and maybe it's telling us something. Like, we got to take some some stress and pressure off. You know, and like you said, like, man, my life's actually pretty good now. Like, okay. We'll keep, we'll keep proving that to ourselves and walking through that. And when it isn't, We'll acknowledge that too, because life being pretty good doesn't mean I don't have these thoughts just pop up, like you said. The thoughts arise, like okay, you know, and it's it's being able to, like I said, not not keep it in silence, being able to say what it is when it's happening, and and this is stuff that, as far as existing or not existing goes, yeah, that we talk about in therapy. You can talk about it with your friends too, for sure, but yeah. We, We'll unpack more of that. You're, you're not somebody I ever thought would want to die. I think continuing to live with the stress and pressure and certain things that happen beyond your control in your own head, living without that would be nice. But you don't want to die. You know, but okay, how do I live without that or how do I learn to manage that when it comes up? even with these with these thoughts coming up, even with these feelings. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of it, too, is expectation and managing what that is, too. I think that's a big area in where I need to, to grow and, and really understand myself and understand my expectations because I think a lot of my pressure comes from that. 
Yeah. And that's, that's some of our work is going to be relieving some of that pressure. We got to, you know, and the more we do that, the more internally your system will start to, to calm itself too. And I have a lot more good days than I have bad days. For sure. Oh, for sure. But you're, you're allowed to have bad days, you know, and the bad days can last, you know, a few weeks, even a few months. Okay. That's okay. That's part of it. And it's just going to be difficult when you're in it. And I appreciate you talking about it because to me, that's, that's how you take the power away from it and make it less scary. You know, anything new and different is going to feel uncomfortable. And the more we do it, the more comfortable we get with that. Yeah, and, and I feel, thank you for providing a safe spot for me to be able to share it, you know, because it's, uh, I haven't talked to friend or friend. Those are like my two best friends, you know, my best friends. And yeah. I still don't want to talk to them about it because it's not, oh, I want to be able to share where I'm at when I'm there, but I don't want to have the conversations of what my dreams are and you know, all that kind of shit and walking around and seeing shit the way I do. And it's not for them. No, I just want to, I want to understand it and not suffer in silence. And I'm not going to be able to take it away, but I'll, I'll be here with you. I'll be here through it. I understand it and I can take it. I got you. Yeah. Thank you. But I only got you when you come to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I understand that too. My spewing mentality, thank God we've worked on that for so long. So right. now I can kind of not feel like I need to tell everybody about this and, and go so right. deep and, and I'm navigating how I tell people. And pay attention to what this is like, you and me, because when you do get to tell somebody, when you do get to unload it and you do get to talk about it, pay attention to what that feels like. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you. And we're back. We're back in our safe space with you guys. We are. And yeah, it's kind of funny because when I was taking notes listening to this, the first thing I wrote was, yay, exclamation point. And then I said, like, it's fun to hear Drew and you and Drew talking about about us, about listening right. to it because... Right. I don't think he ever has before. And then obviously like, yeah, it shifted shortly thereafter. But, you know, one of the things he said is that he still deals with the same shit. It's just he knows how to to deal with it better. Right, right. Which I totally get. So a couple things. Something you said at the end, like really yeah. threw me for a loop. And hmm. so at some point at, towards the end, you said to him, so you're not somebody I would have ever thought would want to die. And then you said something and you said, you don't want to die. You dot, 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 whatever you said after. Cause I kind of tuned out. You sort of rephrased it. Like you're struggling and you know, I don't know exactly, but I was right, right. really surprised that you said that. And I'm wondering mm, if okay. that's something that, I don't know, you were telling him you don't really want to die. And I was like, huh, but he does actually. Well, what we were getting at, and it's it's how I was saying it to him, was it's not that he wants to die, and he said that to me before. It's that he doesn't want to live this way. Right. And there is a big difference. 
Okay. So then other suicidal people, how, how would you explain to them the difference? Right. Because I think I don't know anybody that is suicidal for no reason. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I think most people who are suicidal are suicidal because there is something going on that makes them not want to exist. And then there are the, there's the impulsive suicide that happens, right. For kind of out of the blue or, but that's not, I wouldn't think of that as being like suicidal as having suicidal ideation. I mean, you can want to die and not want to die. Both of those are true. But I think just saying you don't really want to die was just, I don't know. It just sounded really invalidating to me. To you. Yeah, I get that. To Drew, it actually validates something for him, which he's not done living. He wants to keep living. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to live this way. He Mm -hmm. said to me in various sessions that he wants to have an impact and he wants to do something with his life and, and he wants his life to have meaning. And yet all of the pressure that he puts on himself mm-hmm. and the stress that he has, and then the feelings that go with that, sometimes the guilt, the shame, and the embarrassment, those big three that we hit, those are the ones that he wants to get away from. Mm-hmm. So he wants to get away from those feelings and not feel them. And he doesn't know a way to do that. And his, in his dreams, when he has dreams, and not just the night terrors, but when he has dreams of suicide... And when he was talking about having these visions of being in a tub and slitting his wrists or hanging himself from an exercise bar, that was, to me, a way for him to not feel those feelings of stress and pressure, guilt, shame, and embarrassment. It wasn't that he's actually wanting to die. He's wanting a way to live without these feelings. As opposed to? To not existing anymore. The difference is he doesn't want to not exist. He wants to learn and find a way to live without these these feelings overtaking him, without the stress and pressure overtaking him, and sometimes they do. Right. Okay. But you're saying, Mary, that you, you felt like it was invalidating, and this is where if you're just hearing this session and you don't know the relationship that Drew and I have had for, at this point, two years then yeah, it it might seem very invalidating. Well, even me who does know a lot about the relationship and okay. So obviously caveat, I work with suicidal clients every single day. Right. And so I, I'm trying to picture saying to one of my clients, you're not somebody I would have ever thought wanted to die. Um, or I ever picture I would ever have thought, yeah, would want to die. I don't know. To me, again, uh, obviously you're a brilliant therapist and I understand what you were saying or like what the point was. Right. And obviously Drew was like, thank you so much for the safe space and feel, you know, so that was, it all worked out. I just was curious, like if somebody in my session, if I said, I'm just trying to picture what I, a client, if I was like, you don't want to die, like. (laughs) Right. But I, I, you know, and. I'm not the therapist for your clients. Right. And this isn't a blueprint for what to say for anybody totally. that's that's dealing with a suicidal client. This is only what I said to this particular client at this particular time. Totally. And what I know of him is that sometimes he, he looks for reassurance. And to be able to have the safe space to talk about these feelings and talk about these thoughts and talk about that 
is what he really wanted. And he has said to me, I would never do this. I wouldn't want to do, you know, and he's very passionate about wanting to have an impact with his life and wanting to do something with his life. And he's, it's not even that there's a conflict with those two things. He doesn't think, well, I wouldn't kill myself because then I wouldn't have an impact with my life. So I need to have an impact. So I need to stay alive. It doesn't, it doesn't go that far with it. It really is just for him. And he said it in this session, there's a way to not feel this stress and not feel this pressure. Yeah. That would be nice to not feel that. By the way, the pull-up bar thing, that wasn't a dream. No, that was not a dream. Okay. Cause you said the dream, like dreams. And then I thought you were saying that was a dream. Okay. No, no, no. He's, he, he has, he has envisioned being in a tub. Like he's seen, he wasn't sleeping when he, when he saw himself no, in no. the tub slitting his wrist. Right. But the pull-up bar thing, I, th- I thought he was saying he has a pull-up bar in his house and he threw a, a rope over it to, and literally no, 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 stood no, no. back. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm, I'm very sure. Oh. Yeah. He, and we've, we've talked about it since then too. He was saying like, it's getting to the point. It's not just dreams. And I can't tell the difference between dreams right. and reality sometimes right. because I'm waking up at like 1130, 1 a.m., 3 a.m., 5 a.m. Then I'm awake and I don't know what's real and what's not. And, you know, I have this pull up, pull up bar and I looked at it and I just thought, well, if I threw these ropes over the bar and I could tie this around my neck, then I'd be dead and everybody would see me. So it, it, it's that thought enters his head, even in his waking life, not just in his dreams. Right. But he wasn't looking at it like, I want to hang myself from this bar. Because then he said, so I had these ropes and I threw them over there. And then I sat back and I looked at it and I thought, hmm, I could do that. So that's why I thought. Right. Okay. So he, that was just like, he just had a pull-up bar and he was just sort of looking at it thinking like, oh, okay. Right. Right. I mean, I remember working with clients when we worked with teens in South LA I remember driving on the freeway with one of them and the guy just said, what if I just grabbed the wheel and just turned us into oncoming traffic? Right. And I said, well, hopefully I'd stop, you know, the steering wheel, but we would go into oncoming traffic, get in a big accident. Yeah. Those are those intrusive thoughts for sure. Intrusive thoughts. Right. Normalizing, like having those thoughts, they pop up. Those thoughts arise. That happens. Right. This for him is a little different because he's also talking about can I tell what's dream and what's reality? I'm, I'm having trouble. And if you remember way early on, he said to me, he was diagnosed with suicidal ideology. Right. Which isn't a thing. It was probably somebody saying suicidal ideation. Right. Which was something that I was like, because then he said, yeah, like this isn't me. This isn't who I am. And that sort of was like, yeah. And you said something like, yeah, I mean, maybe it was related to the vaccine or COVID or the vaccine or whatever. And I was thinking, no, this is who you are. Like it may be getting worse now, but you've had suicidal ideation for a long time. Yeah. And he even says a, a version of it, which is again, why I said the, the not wanting to die part when he says, I could just go home and go fish. You know, that's his version of saying, I could take all the pressure off of myself and just live a life where I'm sitting on a boat with a a fishing rod in my hand. Right. And my thought is, motherfucker, go do that. Because if you are having thoughts this intense and this graphic and this often, like the shit he was saying again, and I've had plenty of clients kill themselves and that sounded very flippant. I've had clients that have killed themselves and people close to me. And this is intense. Like this, what he was saying, these details and like the 
waking up and like finding a gun and putting it to his head or the the vertical cut of the in the bathtub like i'm like fuck dude like what is going on and you said something about like oh when you were talking about suffering in silence and you were saying because what happens is like then people become like panicked or impulsive and then you know it gets really scary and then you don't make a good choice and he was like oh yeah that's how i felt over the weekend or whatever. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, fuck. Okay. To me, this is where I'm like, okay, like let's do a f assessment right now. And like, I need you to check in with me every day. Yeah. And again, that's, that's the level of client that you work with and that right. you see daily, right. right? Several times a day. And that's not Drew. Right. Okay. That's not him. And that's, that's not I assess him in my way. Did I do a suicide assessment in the moment with him? No. Did I do an assessment myself as his therapist? Yes. Right. And he, to me, was not a suicide risk right now. I know him. I've worked with him. And what I, what I could tell that he needed more than anything was a space to talk about this stuff, mm. was a way to have it not be silent and inside and have him not know what to do with it. Right. To be able to talk about it and have somebody not freak out and not pull the alarm bells and not say, then motherfucker, go fish, like get out of here. That would not have been helpful for him. Well, I wouldn't have actually said that just so we're clear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Just so you know, I was just saying that I to you. I definitely wouldn't have. And I yeah. didn't. Yeah. And there's, there's a reason. And the reason was he needs to talk about this. Mm -hmm. He needs to understand what he's feeling. And I assessed and I stand by it that he is not in danger of, of ending his life right after the session or even in the week after. Right. The session. And obviously that's what I'm saying. Right? You're right that like uh, he didn't. And just for me, though, I was like, oh, oh, wow. Right. Right. Even though I deal with it every day, it's like I was like, holy shit, this is some like some shit right here. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people who don't do what we do will hear this and go, holy shit, you know, and what do you do with that? And oh my God, what does that mean? And some people will go, yeah, I have that thought sometimes too. Right. And I imagine, I mean, I know, and I, I'm sure this must have, well, I'm not sure, been really hard for you because I know, I don't know if people know this, but your wife took her own life Yeah. a few years ago. Yeah. Just hearing this must have been difficult, I imagine. Absolutely. This was a very heavy session for me personally, which didn't come out in the session with him. It, that happens to me after the session right. where I just go, wow, that was heavy. And I reflect on things and it was immeasurably tough because he's saying things to me that Kim never said to me. We didn't get to have this discussion. Right. She did suffer in silence. Right. And she did complete suicide. So if anything, that might have informed me a little more because I'm really trying to create the space for him to talk about this and have this come out. Right. And those feelings of guilt, shame, and embarrassment, if anything I said were to trigger those feelings, that would be very dangerous. Right. So uh, it, it does inform how I work with him. And in the session... I can compartmentalize my personal stuff. That's part of being a seasoned therapist. Totally. Am I affected by it? Oh, hell yes. Right. You know? And of course. Damn sure. Like I, I 
you know, finish this session. And I, I don't know, I don't know if I had another client afterwards. If I did, I'm sure it got compartmentalized and I was there for the client and yeah. did that. Yeah. If I didn't, I probably would wrestle with my dog and play with him or pick up my guitar and just debrief myself. And I'm sure I talked about it in my own therapy that week. Yeah. And it, it's something that we deal with a lot as therapists when our clients bring stuff to us that that hits something that we've gone through or are going through personally. And it's incredibly important to compartmentalize that and be there for your client. It can inform you. That's what clients do for me. I think I mentioned I, when my mom passed away, I went back to work the next day because it allowed me right, right. to like, at least in those hour, in those hours I was with a client, like I just was so focused on them. I don't, it doesn't go through my mind. And I was like, okay, this is helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you asked me once a while ago, uh, why I didn't disclose to Drew about, about Kim. Mm -hmm. And I said at the time it wouldn't have served him. Right. It would, it, it might've brought us closer together, but it would have created something different for him where he would be probably tentative and never would have had this session. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. He would have been tending to me and that's not what you want as a right. therapist. That's not what you want as a client either. Right. So I'm, I'm glad I never disclosed to him. Totally. Because it, it, it allowed for this to happen naturally. Yeah. And even in this session, there was no chance I was going to disclose because that again, oh, it would yeah. have been about, about me and it would have compounded the feelings of guilt, shame, and embarrassment. He right. would have felt horrible. Totally. Yeah. Right? That would have yeah. been horrible for him. And again, the, the path that you took with him at the end, it was like so easy to see that it was super effective, you know, and he was so grateful to right. be able to share that all with you and have you react the way you did. And by the way, just when he did the Michael Jordan analogy, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I just right. started laughing right. and I was like, okay, you had to like throw one thing in there. I get it. It was so funny. Like, yeah. Like, he shouldn't have come back and played with the wizards. I know. I was like, I was like, what? And then I was like, okay, well, I don't really know about that, but I was like, <laughs> I got it. And, and that's right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, okay, I'm jumping around now, but that it all made me sad because I mean, it makes me sad even when I'm listening to my own clients, but obviously I'm not in this session so I can like look at it from the outside and listen. It made me so sad that he was just like, go out. I want to go out on a high note. Like, what if, what right. if right. this is as good as it gets? And what if, you know, somebody's like, we will miss you. And then what if they don't feel the same in 20 years or 40 years? Like it feels so sad for him. And, and of course, like you pointed out, I mean, there's the chemical imbalance piece and also like the stress and pressure that was the big thing, the stress and pressure. A big piece of this session to me was for him to acknowledge that he feels a tremendous amount of pressure and it comes from the expectation that he puts on himself. And he was able to say that. Just saying that takes some pressure off. Mm -hmm. And we even talked about, it. yeah, the absence of pressure, you know, and him thinking he wants to have total control of, of his life, yeah. which is part of what suicide is for him. Totally. It's a way to have total control by ending it. Well, and that's me going, right, that's more the absence of pressure. And that's then maybe in that moment, 
the idea of going fishing, like, well, if that's what you want, then yeah, go fishing. Because that is total control. You could just go away. But I think that that's, that's just doing a geographic and your problems are still going to follow you around. And that's not actually what he wants. What he needs is permission to have a bad day. What he needs is somehow being able to have less pressure and more reasonable expectations. And more than anything, just understand the feelings that are coming up and the feelings that he's having. Because he so badly wants to, like he said, control his emotional spikes and be more even keel and not get angry with my girlfriend. And, and it's, it's something that he doesn't know how to do. He never learned. What he saw was his mom who, like he said, would, would not do well and then fuck everybody up with how she was because she would get fucked up. And that created something horrible. So he's looking for, I don't know how to do this. How do I control these emotional spikes? And, and you know, me saying to him, well, you want them to never, never be there, right? He goes, yeah. I'm like, sorry, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And you, you mentioned about him recognizing what's going on earlier. And I don't know if we've ever talked about this, and, but subjective units of distress, SUDS is what we call it for short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And calling it that is helpful because you just have this like little acronym and I always check in with my clients. Okay. Where are your suds right now? Or where were your suds then? So checking in with himself and knowing if his suds are ever between like a seven and a 10, like. Explain studs for people that don't know DBT. Suds, subjective units of distress. <laughs> explain. Yeah. Explain suds. Sub right. But what does that I, mean? Subjective units of distress. So how you feel right for zero to 10, one to 10 is going to be different for everybody. So, you know, my suds, when I feel distressed, when I feel anxious, upset, angry, whatever it is, whatever the quote unquote distress is, um, we just create these units. So it can be zero to a hundred. It's, it's zero to 10. It looks like a thermometer, right? So like, as it starts to right. rise, by the time you're at a 10, talking to somebody else is never a good idea, <laughs> right. right? Like, no. No, right. they can't help you. You can't help them. And again, I might be at a 10 in traffic. Someone else might be at a 10 when they stub their toe. Someone else might be at a 10 when someone dies. It, it's all, that's why it's subjective, yeah, you know? It's subjective, yeah. But knowing that and being able to quickly say, okay, where, where are my suds right now? Or if someone else says to you, okay, well, like, where are your suds? And that gives you that moment to think, okay, right. So I'm at a four. I can feel them going up. So what do I need to do right now? That's, I think, right. a really good tool to have to just like be able to check in with yourself. And I think one of the greatest values of that is that there is a collective lingo. Like it's something right. that's known. It's something that other people share. Right. One of the great things about the DBT program that you do is there is a group component that goes along with it. Right. And there's a way of supporting each other through this by virtue of we're all going through this. Right. You know, what are your suds? Where's, where's your suds? Oh, yeah. it's here. Where's yours? Right. Oh, it's here. We know what this is. He's got none of that. Yeah, exactly. And again, what I'm creating for him is that safe space, is that yeah. normalizing something that feels so incredibly abnormal to him. And I was thinking, because he said... Okay, like that's where I was over the weekend. And I wrote down how skillful it was of him. He's like, I tried, I smoked, I went to the gym, like something else. And he tried to do these things to help himself, right? He 
he used right. skills. He tried to distract. He tried to, sure, he smoked weed. Who cares? It's better than taking your own life. So just to even try to, to he did, he did, he tried. But what he didn't yeah. do, like you said, was reach out to you. Right. And throwing that at him was to me kind of cool because he was talking even earlier about talking to his mom, saying like, oh, he, <laughs> what? I just was like, <laughs> When she's like, what did I do wrong or whatever? I'm just like, oh my God. Like, I, I know that people lack awareness. I'm aware of that. I know I'm a therapist, but I'm just like, what? Like right. Right. he, his response to that was so insightful and, you know, calm and great. Like you said, and he was just like, that actually makes me feel worse. That's not helpful. Can you just say, you know, be there or whatever. But I was just like, come right. on, mom. Again, I get it. Right. Yeah. And he was saying like, yeah, I, I don't need you to fix it. Yeah. Like, I don't need you to fix it. And when I asked him why he didn't call me, he said, oh, because it wasn't a, I need you to fix this yeah, conversation. Yeah, I love that. Like, okay, but that's not why you reach out for your yeah. therapist because right. think about that. That's what you just said about mom. It drove me crazy that she just wanted to fix. Yep. Right. And I'm highlighting for him that sometimes what he what he wants is somebody that's just there with him. Right. Like you were. Exactly. That creates that safe space. And we talked about him not talking to his friends and, and kind of tagged the end of this session. Yes. With like, right. And take note about what happens when we did talk about this and how that did feel and right. what that was like. And at some at some point in time, maybe you will reach out to your friends and do that because you now have some understanding of what it can be like not for somebody to fix, but just for somebody to to witness and be with. Yeah. I mean, I always say like nine out of 10 times, if, if I don't care if it's your best friend in the world, but having this conversation with somebody that's not equipped or a lot of times people will say like, don't tell anyone I told you this, but I'm feeling blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is so much responsibility for like the lay person to have on them in a way. Right. Just even saying you're suicidal to somebody can be really overwhelming for the other person who's just like, uh, okay, now what? Much less right. having it described this way. And he said the his two best friends, like, I don't want to talk to them about it. Like Yeah, I don't want to put it on them. I don't yeah. want to. And that's right. that that is a good yeah, I agree. I do agree because even though the idea is like, no, I mean you want to be honest and open with people around you. Like also talk to your therapist because this is a fucking lot. Yeah. And this is, this is in part what we're here for. The biggest piece of being in therapy and having a therapist is when you get to the point of, I don't know how to tell anybody this. Great. That's right. a great place to start with a therapist with, I don't know how to tell anybody. He even said a few times like, wow, I've never said this one out loud yeah. before. Yeah. Right. And it, it's that idea again of he came to me and it wasn't about fixing it, even though he thought like, well, I don't want to reach out to my friends because they won't know what to say. I didn't call my therapist because it wasn't a fix it thing. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's not about fixing. It's about being present and, and feeling not alone or being connected, whatever you want to say. It's, it's just about being there and feeling safe. Right. And that was something that I think we kind of got him to walk through an experience. So now if he is going to tell a friend, it's not, I don't need to put pressure on them to fix it. I just need them to hear it. 
Right. And maybe not something like this, like what right. he just shared with me in this session. You're right, Mary. It's a lot to it's put lot. on a friend that's not a therapist. And I think anybody out there listening who is not a therapist, who is a friend of somebody who might say something like this, it's not on you to fix it. It's right. not on you to say the right thing. It's on you maybe to just be there for it, be a witness to it. Yeah. Because not obviously, I mean, not everyone has a therapist and the suicide hotline is always, always available and they know like they're very well trained, trained yeah. to help in these kinds of situations. And, you know, I think also he talked to his girlfriend at the time uh -huh. when, when it was happening and and she called his she parents. called his parents and I totally yeah. respect that. And I think that that was a great call on her part because yeah, she was like, yeah. what? Fuck. Yeah. And even if he's like, oh God. And then I had to talk to my parents. Fine. Right. She's looking for, how do I support you? Yeah. I don't, I don't know him as intimately and, and right. as well as they do. And right. I've never heard the, I don't know what to do. I mean, I would guess, I would guess if she had my number, she would have called me. Right. And it's, it's just highlighting, I think, you don't need to know what to do or what to say as right. a friend right. in these situations. Being there for somebody, allowing them to speak and be heard, great. And if it does seem very acute, the suicide hotline, finding out if they have a therapist, if you have a therapist, calling a family member. My biggest thing with things like this is to not suffer in silence. If you suffer out loud, then you get to heal out loud. And then we all get to heal from it. One of the things I think ironically and beautifully that Drew wants to do is have an impact on people. And I think this very session and what we're doing and talking about it and putting it out there is going to have an impact on people. Yeah, for sure. And my reaction to, to all of this and hearing this session is because my clients are so acutely suicidal that it's a very distinct reality that somebody will walk out of the session and actually do it. Right. As opposed to like, and you knowing right. So like, you know, there are some suicide attempts even that are very much a cry for help. And it is pretty obvious, right? Like, right. okay, I right. took seven Advil. There is no minimizing someone's need for help or cry for help at all, but it's more just like, the difference between the the obvious cry for help as opposed to somebody who does these things and never tells anybody about them or has these thoughts, right? Right. And for me, like my clients that have completed suicide were ones that were very it had been going on for a long time, right? So it wasn't it wasn't like an impulsive sort of surprising thing. Right. And for you, your main thing being like, don't suffer in silence. I think, I mean, the stuff with your wife, there must have been a lot of if only, right? Oh, for sure. Look, and she had an attempt earlier in her life, like 20 years earlier, right? And it was something I knew was a part of her history. Right. And she did have a mental illness. She was bipolar too. And she managed it very well for most of her life. I know now, because I read some of her journal entries and some of her voice memos I heard, which were very crushing and very difficult to walk through for me, but I know that it was something that was a part of her and, mm -hmm. and on her mind and in her feelings a lot. And she didn't share that 
And if she had, do you, what do you think would be different for you if she had? I, I walked down that road years ago and I will not walk down it again because it cannot happen. Right. And what I do know is that her family, her friends, her therapist, her psychiatrist were all shocked, which right. tells me that she wasn't talking to anybody. Exactly. She kept it inside. Yeah. So again, that suffering and silence, that the feelings of guilt, shame, and embarrassment, those are killers. Totally. And when you can speak up. And and I even said to Drew at the end of the session, you know, when he was like, thank you for, for creating a safe space for, for walking through this with me. And I said, well, and pay attention to what it's like when you can say this to somebody. Right. And you get to unload it, like pay attention to what it feels like. Right. And he's like, yeah, because it does feel better. Totally. It feels worse sometimes, but I think what, what feels most worse is feeling alone in it. And that's why, you know, when we're talking about the, the suds inventory and taking, taking stock of yourself, that's having some community around it. So you don't feel so alone. Right. And he, and he did keep referencing community. Oh, I know this is out of order. I was also a little confused. So his dad said to him, I'm not going to pry or like, but I'm here. I just want you to know. And his response was something like, no, I need you to ask me questions. You're my dad. Like, I need you to ask me questions. It's too hard for me to whatever. And then I was sort of confused, like, okay, for someone else who's maybe has somebody that's dealing with this, how do you know whether to ask the questions or to not pry or to say something or not say something? Right. And that's, again, that's when I really hit him with the suffering and silence and right. with the the hands, the hand gestures of stay with one hand and come here with the other, which he's, he's said a lot. Like he said in certain ways with his previous girlfriend that he, he wants to be left alone, but he wants her to come towards him. And some people would say, well, which is it? It's both. Yeah. I hate you. Don't leave me. Right. I, I don't want to talk about this, but I want you to ask the questions. Right. You know, and that's why as therapists, we're trained to ask our clients about suicide when we get the hint why you were saying, well, why didn't you assess? Because we're trained to talk about it point blank, to say the things right. that often go unsaid so that we can now talk about them. And again, as you said, you kind of came around to, right, you did it in your way. Totally. We spent the whole session talking about that. I even said it to him as, okay, well, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. We're also going to talk about the big thing that yeah. you mentioned too. Yeah. You're like, we're coming back Let's to hit this. these Don't other worry. things and then we'll come back. To, yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Because that was the big thing. And it, it's something where it doesn't just go away. You know, that, that's something that will be a, a part of him. Like you said, that's a part of him. Okay. And we need to check in with it every now and then. We need to be aware of it. And it's something that as his therapist, what I take note of in this very strongly is feeling the pressure. When a lot of this happens, the night terrors, I used to stop checking in with the night terrors because they kind of went away. Yeah. And I've told him like, we're going to, we're going to take care of that by not talking directly about it. And he used to want people to know everything about his night terrors and what they are, what they mean, where they come from, why he has them. And I think a big part of that is the stress and pressure he puts on himself and he feels mm -hmm. and not being able to talk to anybody about it. It's a terrifying life if that's how you have to walk through it right. alone with all that pressure and stress on yourself. 
and the expectations that he needs to do better and more and do good and put it out there. And that's, oh man, that's so much. My that's God. so much for him. Especially such a like young kid. I'm just like, man, I can't even imagine putting that on yourself at that age. Like, like my head was so far up my ass at his age, I wouldn't have even occurred to me. Like, right. I just, right. Yeah. I mean, I just want to be like, give yourself a break, dude. Yeah. And I, again, want to say like, I, I lump those three feelings together because I think they often, but not always go together, guilt, shame, and embarrassment. Mm -hmm. And that is often what leads people to be silent because they feel guilty. They feel ashamed. They feel embarrassed. So they won't talk. And right. he even said things like, well, I'm embarrassed and it's something I haven't really told anybody. Nobody knows this. And I, I don't know. Right. It's just so awkward. Being able to let it out and maybe what Drew has done by virtue of this session with me and allowing us to podcast it and put it out to everybody is, yeah, we all feel like that sometimes. And sometimes it is overwhelming and it is very awkward and we don't want to talk about it. And yet talking about it, as you heard towards the end, actually does feel better. Yeah. And again, not always in that moment, right? Like it can sure, make sure. you feel worse. And then, but the, the general concept of talking about it, of course, like, yeah, you literally have these sort of toxic feelings in you and then you can talk about it and kind of like he said, like spew it out. You like get it out. Yeah. Or like I also said, yeah, I got to pull in my Harry Potter. I pulled the Voldemort reference, you yes. know, the he who shall not be named. Yeah. And as soon as you name it, it takes the power away from it. Right. Right. So talking about it, and I encourage all of you to talk about it. Please do reach out, reach out to your support system. And you can always reach out to the suicide hotline as I think a, a good reflection that as a society, we're getting better about this. Exactly. We're talking yeah. about it more. The suicide hotline has changed to a three-digit number that's very easy to remember. It's 988. So if, if you're feeling this, if you know somebody who is, these are people that are trained. They're there 24-7. Call 988 and somebody will be there for you. Yeah, exactly. So intense. And thank you, Drew, for sharing all this and for letting us share it and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you guys for listening to it and being here with us. And if you're interested in more Drew, he's with us on the Patreon. You can you can hear more of him there. We thought this was a pretty important one. So we wanted to put it out everywhere for you guys. And we appreciate your support. You can find us on all the social medias. Just search for Your Mental Breakdown and we will be here and there and everywhere we can for you. Bye. Bye.